is up as well, not quite as much, about 0.7%. Uh, but the Hang Seng is going to move in the other direction. It looks like it's going to open about uh, 260 points lower. That's over 1% lower, uh, which will take the index down to about uh, 23,000 in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is on the slide, trading at $34.15 a barrel this morning. And uh, gold is at $1,712 an ounce. That's it from me uh, on Money Talk this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat. Hugh Chiverton and Karen Co on duty this morning. And the weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy with a few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 31 degrees and the outlook is for showers in the next few days. Hot early next week. It's 27 degrees right now and it's 88% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has told Congress that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous from mainland China. It now falls to President Trump to decide what action to take, such as placing sanctions on individuals or groups or revoking Hong Kong's special trade status. Ben Emmons, Managing Director of Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors in Los Angeles, says if China retaliates, it would be negative for Hong Kong. What you're going to see is what we call capital flight, so to speak. In other words, you have foreign companies or banks that withdraw money out of Hong Kong as a precaution. Then you have the real estate sector in Hong Kong where a lot of foreign banks have exposure to. We could see an effect there of like foreign investors trying to sell real estate but not wanting to be subject to any kind of law from China in addition to the Hong Kong laws. And then lastly, I guess it's just the protest itself will likely intensify and that already had a major negative effect on the Hong Kong economy. The number of people who've died from the coronavirus in the United States has now exceeded 100,000. In about three months, more Americans have died from COVID-19 than during the Korean War, Vietnam War and the conflict in Iraq combined. The latest milestone was reached as the overall number of new cases slows and the economy opens up. Professor Justin Lesler is an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. I don't think it's the peak. I think that uh, we'll continue to see cases for a long time into the future. The fact of the matter is there's still people susceptible to infection in the United States. It's still most of the country. Only places like New York City do I think have any confidence that they won't see another peak. We don't have one central health system. Every state, sometimes even every locality, is making its own decisions. And that's led to a mismatch of uh, policies across the country. The U.S. industrial firm General Electric is switching off its light bulb business after 128 years. GE said it was another step in its transformation to focus on healthcare, aviation, power and other industrial goods. Here's the BBC's John Donison. It was General Electric's founder, Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb and GE was the first company to mass produce a bulb that could last for hours. Hundreds of millions, if not billions, have been sold around the globe. Now, though, GE has sold its light bulb business to the smart homes technology company Savant Systems. Although under a licensing agreement, the new bulbs will still bear the GE logo. General Electric has been under pressure because of the coronavirus crisis. Earlier this month, it announced it was cutting 10,000 jobs in the aviation sector. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Karen Co. Karen, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Hugh. So Mike Pompeo says the Trump administration no longer regards Hong Kong as autonomous from mainland China and that Hong Kong does not continue to warrant treatment under United States laws in the same way as US laws were applied before 97. In addition, yesterday, police said they'd arrested more than 360 people on suspicion of illegal assembly after moving to stamp out protests against the incoming national anthem and national security laws. And in Taiwan, Chai Wen has pledged to draw up a plan to give humanitarian relief to people involved in Hong Kong protests. What do you make of developments? Are you worried? Will the new laws make things better or worse for Hong Kong and for you? Do you agree it would be only a right to ban foreign judges from presiding uh, in Hong Kong over cases? Is involving national security. Let us know your thoughts as ever. You can leave a message on our Facebook page. Everyone can see it there. Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us. Uh, we'll read, do our best to read out your messages if they're uh, short enough and uh, relevant. Backchat at RTHK.hk. Or, best of all, give us a call. And our number is 233-88266. And we'll put you on air. 233-88266. Later, we're also going to be talking about the life of Stanley Ho. We hope the businessman who's died at the age of 98. Joining us for the discussion now, we have Edward Chin, uh, hedge, fund, hedge Fund Manager and uh, Convener of 2047 Hong Kong Monitor, and Professor Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the William S. Richardson School of Law and Graduate Chair at the Matsunaga Institute for Peace, uh, who's uh, formerly of the uh, University of Hong Kong uh, uh, Law Department now in Hawaii. Uh, once again, our email address back, chat at rthk.hk. A uh, couple of uh, interesting messages, uh, if I can find them. First of all, one from Kim, uh, who says, On the 13th of May, the French Parliament adopted a law that requires online platforms such as Facebook to remove reported hateful content within 24 hours and terrorist content within one hour. Failure to do so could result in exorbitant fines of up to 1.25 million euros or 4% of the platform's global revenue. The scope of online content deemed hateful under what is known as the Avia law is, as is common in European hate speech laws, very broadly demarcated and includes incitement to hatred or discriminatory insult on the grounds of race, religion, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation or disability. Uh, Hong Kong should take note of these laws as examples of how we can curb hate speech and content inciting youngsters to commit terrorist acts on a certain well-known online discussion forums learn from the masters of national security enforcement in europe that comes from kim uh alonzo says uh with the subject line exodus of corporations question mark unlikely in the past couple of days, uh, numerous media publications and commentators have predictably expressed their doom and gloom prognoses for Hong Kong. Headlines have abounded about the looming mass exodus of large US investment banks and multinationals and the resultant death of Hong Kong as a financial hub, with Singapore being tipped as the most likely beneficiary of this trend. Amidst all the hyperbole, it's interesting and rather ironic to read that MSCI, the multi-billion American financial group whose stock, bond and multi- Asset indices are the most widely followed benchmarks in the world. Yesterday announced that it's shifting a significant uh, portion of its Asian business from Singapore to the Hong Kong exchange, a move which wiped 12% off the market value of uh, uh, SGX, the Singapore exchange. Uh, that comes from Alonso. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, Edward Chin, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us. Um, 
what's your understanding of the financial implications or is it too early to say really uh, will this everything really hang on exactly what Trump decides to do and exactly what the MPC decides to do I think whatever they uh, announced last week was uh, quite damaging from the Beijing side because we already had one year of a pain from the extradition law that was uh, finally retracted. Now, this is uh, 10 times more severe because this puts everyone in danger. And, you know, people that I associate with, you know, not talking about the the very top-level investment banks, but the asset managers, they are worried they might have relocated back to Hong Kong 20 years ago after handover. Now, people are worried that, uh, you know, what's the next move uh, from Beijing? Because at this time, uh, as you can see, over the weekend and also yesterday, you know, what the Beijing and also the Hong Kong government tried to do is to create fear. I was just uh, down at the Marks and Spencer yesterday, and then suddenly they fired these uh, pepper uh, sprays. And, you know, and then they were like probably a few hundred riot police, like in, in, in Central. But what? To, to bring up a show? I mean, like, whatever Secretary of State uh, Mike Pompeo uh, announced, I, I think there's um, a ground. And the normal people that I know, especially those who are having like eight or nine-digit Hong Kong dollars network, they are, load, they are unloading. Quickly, they try to unload the hard assets. And that, that's um, a fact. And some people who are very firm in their the price in their real estate, now they want to lower like 20 30%. Not looking for a quick sale, but, but it, it is really the, the confidence. If the confidence isn't there, you cannot regain it. And this, this is the time to uh, really rethink that, that whether this one country, two systems is uh, announced officially that this year. Uh, uh, Edward Chin, it's it's Karen here. So, are you saying that uh, in your sector, in in that finance industry sector, that th- this law, which most likely is going to go ahead, is going to have a long term effect, and and there will be some kind of mass exodus in in the sector, and if so, to where? Well, definitely, I, I think the technology part it will Taiwan will benefit. And from the asset management space, I know a lot of asset managers are having inquiries. Not now, but since uh, the extradition proposal was brought up last year, early part of last year, there was a lot of inquiries to MAS Monitor Authority of Singapore. Because these are like entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs who set up jobs with AUM of, let's say, 100 million U.S. to start with. These are like entrepreneurs. Why Why do they come back to, to Hong Kong? Because Hong Kong was supposed to be dynamic, autonomous, and also having some sort of firewall from China. But this two systems now, you know, like the, whatever way you interpret it, I, I could already foresee that when they make this national security law into effect, they will set up something like more like a secret agent service. Think about Lam Wen Cake, the Causeway Big Book sellers, you know, like anyone who says something against the government, or even someone who was um, vocal, they could they could 
make you just ask someone for for a talk, and then you know, technically that person could disappear too. So go back to last year, but also ten times more severe. That's why you see the high ball. The high ball rate actually jerked up uh, a lot. You know, you, you can check it um, on uh, HKMA website. You know, you you know, like the the numbers don't lie. Uh, it's kind of it's interesting. It's interesting that you say that they might be interested in, in businesses moving to Singapore because Singapore, of course, has an internal security act which is uh, probably stricter than than many many countries. Um, but isn't it really a case of how the law is applied in in specific cases? Well, definitely, you know, like when people have options, at least. They look at Singapore having rule of law, and then it's also common law. But at the same time, as you see, you know these things are like in a evolving process. And I think the U.S. too is uh, trying to persuade companies to move back to the U.S. and um, and do business, and they will do different types of uh, compensation. I was just reading the Twitter from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and also. Dialogue between the Twitter from Jimmy Lyon, the Equidaily founder, um, which he just uh, started his uh, Twitter a few days ago, and then a lot of people are watching this news. I mean, not not from Tai uh, Kung Bao or One Way or these uh, propaganda, but from my my sector, I know those who are entrepreneurial enough. They are inquiring, they are inquiring in places that they think it's safe that they could have more continuity. And this security law is a big blow, no matter what, how you look at it. Yeah, because business likes stability, obviously. Business doesn't like uncertainty. But if, if the law does go ahead, um, I mean, do you just foresee that Hong Kong will be in a constant state of, of instability? two systems. Think about think about you know, like your own personal security first. Just imagine when just a fast forward like uh, 90 days from now. You know, like uh, on September 6th when we will have an um, electrical election. Suddenly, like who is manning the booth? These are like retired policemen or you know, if they pass the national security law and they, the implementation is in late June, early July, and then suddenly the COVID-19 thing is no longer a big issue, but they're still making all sorts of excuses to have the ban. And then they're carrying all these uh, pepper spray guns and rubber bullet guns, you know, like uh, wood, without identification. You know, but you don't even know who these guys are, and they are men. You know, I, I, I just don't feel comfortable. And even my, some of my more pro-establishment friends, you know, like we, we were just um, at Marcus Spencer, and then they were rushing up to, to um, the foreign correspondents club because suddenly they, they just uh, fired these pepper spray guns. So these scenario would happen a lot. So Hong Kong is turning into a police state. I don't know whether, you know, um, some of you 
watched the movie 10 years called self-immolation. I mean, Hong Kong people would not self-immolate, but Hong Kong people with any ounce of mercy and also with righteousness, they should speak up and, and fight. Because this is, this is different from Deng Xiaoping's promise of the one country, two system. I don't think this will be like that things are as normal. Like the, the horse raising will go on, the dancing will go on. And you could even criticize the Communist Party because it could not be toppled, even if you criticize it. This is what Deng Xiaoping said. But now, under Xi Jinping, this is a totally different. Now, and I only see the pro-Beijing camp people, you know, those people from the NPCSC and also the political consultative conference. They did nothing to defend Hong Kong people's rights. They should get the years from the leaders from Beijing, but they say nothing. They just count on it and say, hey, you know, that's a good thing. Okay, Mr. Chin. I, I Mr. Chin. I mean, I mean, you 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 are a you know you you're a business person, yeah, and a hedge fund manager. You're also a a, a political activist. That's that's fine, and you know you can acknowledge both roles. The the, the problem, I guess, would come over would come in the overlap, and. Um, uh, if you and people like you continue to uh, make uh, financial and economic uh, assessments um, that are based really on, on politics, on, on, on the political situation, they're in trouble. If we could separate, if we could talk uh, honestly about the about the economic side and then we can talk separately about any political problems that we have, um, everyone in Hong Kong might be a little bit more relieved and the situation would be a lot calmer. Well, if there are things that you write in a, in a report of a certain listed company, some analysts write something that they didn't know that would offend, you know, like who? Because uh, there are a lot of state-owned companies. Suddenly, um, that person uh, could be brought to scrutiny or they ask him for a conversation or even for the uh, bigger tycoon, so to speak. Would they freeze the, their assets? you know, in the name of um, national security or, uh, you know, frame someone. It, it is quite easy. That's why Joseph Lau, the property tycoon, you know, was uh, fighting very hard last year. And, of course, I don't know what's the deal behind it. And now um, when the extradition bill was retracted, he said good things about China. But but overall, you know, the, the confidence um, could not be regained. And I look at I look at Jimmy Lai now. It's pretty much like the Lao Xiao Bo because he cannot leave Hong Kong. And you know, I could never think of someone you know, like a scenario like like this. And um, and this is it's not just uh, Jimmy Lai. This could happen to to a lot of other people. Even like Anton Chen has been very outspoken and you know, trying to defend you know what I believe are the core values of Hong Kong and go out and then go to the parliamentarians and, and speak up about, you know, like our version of, at least I was brought up under the colonial days. I think, you know, what I have a good understanding of what rule of law, democracy is. And then I, I could see, you know, like those people who are, you know, having very close dialogue with the outside world to be punished. You know, it's not just business. It's not just the bucks. Because if you lose your freedom, you know, that, that, that's, um, even though you, you could be like a, a China billionaire and then suddenly that person uh, will 
go to jail or disappear. Um, you know, it, it, it applies to everybody. Okay. Some uh, comments uh, from Anthony. Did Hong Kong have autonomy under the British administration during which the US granted Hong Kong that special status? Uh, by the way, according to Hong Kong law introduced by the British, police can fire a gun in the face of disturbance and rioting. Uh, uh, Mr. Chin, as a hedge fund manager, would you move to Singapore, where you can hardly see the pan-demolition? Singapore also has anti-radicalisation law and education, saying you favour moving to Singapore. Does it mean Hong Kong can do the same thing uh, to have you stay in Hong Kong? And Mr. Chin, you reminded me how many people were jailed without trial and deported before 97 under the British administration. Uh, he says, under the well-established democratic system, under the well-established democratic system in France, the US, and UK, their national security laws are to protect its people. While under the CCP, any national law is to gag the mouths of people. LOL and typical narrative from the pan-democratic camp. Uh, um, S says, listening to the news today, a person related to the police was acquitted for drug trafficking, apparently due to lack of evidence. Uh, will it be in future that you only have to be well-connected, otherwise you'll be punished according to the whim of the rule by law? That comes uh, from S. Professor Peterson, good morning to you. Thank you for, for joining us um, today. Um, what, do, what do you make of developments? Um, doesn't the statement by Pompeo show that this is really this is really a, a matter of a battle between superpowers and the financial and the legal kind of uh, uh, elements are, are caught in the middle, but the the, the driving force is is uh, geopolitics. You mean the driving force behind Pompeo's behind the behind, behind the, the dispute behind the conflict. The so the conflict is much broader than just the application of the U.S.-Hong Kong Policy Act. Um, so I can answer one of two questions. But in terms of Pompeo's announcement today, I would have to agree with you that the Trump administration is primarily concerned with Donald Trump. I don't think the Trump administration really cares that much about Hong Kong. And I'm no fan of the Trump administration. That being said, however, the United States, States is perfectly legitimate in assessing whether Hong Kong is still an autonomous entity because Hong Kong has been given special privileges. And, we, and in answer to the comment about why did Hong Kong have these privileges before 1997, it's because the U.S. views the United Kingdom much differently than it views mainland China. So the question in 1997 was once Hong Kong is no longer associated with the British and is now part of mainland China, then is Hong Kong going to continue to have that special status under American trade law? And the decision was, yes, because we believe in one country, two systems, because the United States had a reasonable degree of confidence that Deng Xiaoping's promises would be kept. And for a period of time, I think they largely were. But if those promises are no longer going to be kept, and I, and I do think we have to wait a little while and, and see exactly what is imposed on Hong Kong, but increasingly more and more neutral commentators believe that Hong Kong's autonomy is being eroded to the point where the United States cannot be confident that a decision by the Hong Kong government is indeed an autonomous decision. There is more and more of a sense, and I think most of us would agree, that Carrie Lam's government is taking their instructions directly from Beijing. And if it reaches that
that point, then there is no longer any justification for the United States to treat Hong Kong differently from mainland China in matters of trade, export restrictions, etc. So that's the one issue. Uh, the the other question, though, is you know, is the imposition of the national security law on Hong Kong just part of the war with the United States? And I don't think so. Um, I think it's very, very unfortunate that Hong Kong legislators were not able to agree at some point on legislation to completely implement Article 23. Actually, Hong Kong already has offenses on the book that cover most of what is in Article 23. So it's, it's a myth to say that there's this huge lacuna in the law. It's only the offenses of secession and subversion that are not criminalized, and Hong Kong already has a very robust anti-terrorism law. And, you know, there were opportunities when Hong Kong legislators might have gotten together and agreed on a reasonable law that would complete the process of implementing Article 23 and still comply with the ICCPR. I actually think that the bill that was proposed in 2003, after Tung Shi Wa made the concessions he made, would have been a decent starting point. There were some incoherent definitions, but it, it could have been worked with. It's so, Professor Peterson, you think Hong Kong has now lost that chance to actually pass its own law, and now we have no choice but to accept what the NPC puts in front of us? Professor Peterson? No, we've lost her. Okay, maybe we could put that question to Edward Chin. So, uh, Edward Chin, do you think... I don't know whether you just heard my question, but I was just saying that, you know, we did, uh, the Hong Kong legislature did have chances to pass our own Article 23 law. And um, actually, Carol Peterson just put out a report in 2018 stating that, you know, most... um, of the provisions in Article 23, uh, Hong Kong already had existing laws that maybe just needed a bit of reform to um, to bring them up to compliance with the ICCPR, which is the International Covenant on Civil and Polit- Political Rights. But now we've really lost that chance. We we don't have a chance anymore to pass our own law. Well, Beijing promises to have universal suffrage a couple of years ago to never happen, right? So. You know, honestly, um, whether we missed the chance or not, um, difficult to say. But the way I look at it now, it's um, I don't I don't look that far right now. I just want to see how things would uh, would pan out between now and September sixth. You know, would there be um, more arrests, and then would there be more resistance on on the street? And definitely, you know, they say a person who committed the so-called national security law offense would not be sent for trial in mainland. I, you know, I was talking to um, Lam Wen Tae um, a few months ago when I was in Taipei. You know, like we kind of uh, revisit, you know, how much pain and torture even a small business person who opened a book store was facing over those months when he was uh, put, I don't even know where. Because this could happen, you know, like to a lot of people. And I, I just think that, you know, like now, of course, they are 
trying to use fear. As I say, you know, like you have close to six, seven hundred riflemen just in, in Central yesterday, and no one, no one's saying anything about it. Is it? Is this what I call business as usual? No, they are trying to create fear. They want to scare you. So, honestly, you know, take a look at how the stock market would react today. Then bring me as a guest next week. You know, like that. I think that would get you a good indication, you know, whether people are, are scared or not. Of course, they would say, you know, they are like um, people working behind trying to prop up the market, even though people are shorting futures. Now, I don't know. Uh, let the market force decide how things could uh, turn out over the next five, six hours. Okay, some more comments. Uh, this is from uh, Anthony. This is more from Anthony who says, Is Pompeo a well-respected person uh, in the U.S.? Um, Anthony also says, When you compare Jimmy Lai to Liu Xiaobo, do you mean that Liu had threatened to harass the family of a journalist? That's uh, from uh, Anthony. And uh, uh, let's see, this is from uh, Tony who says, Hopefully the new legislation can be used to shut down RTHK's relentless yellow bias. RTHK functions like a subsidiary of BBC and other Western media outlets, frequently quoting BBC reporters and their biased perspectives. Why does RTHK never share counter-opinions from state media organisations such as RT and CGTN? Time to expose RTHK bias with academic studies similar to those done by FAIR in US and UK universities. I don't know about those studies. Thanks, uh, Tony, for, for those uh, comments. Uh, I would just say we, we, we're very happy to have uh, uh, government people coming on this programme. We beg for them to, to come on and for MPC and CPPCC delegates uh, to come on this programme. We're, we're, we're more than happy. And we report at length, in fact, uh, what their MPC and CPCCC um, uh, statements have been made and uh, also that of the Chinese leadership. Uh, OK, uh, Edward Chin, thanks for joining us. Uh, the weather, 28 degrees, humidity at 8. ...in March 2019, but Boeing says it's changed the way the aircrafts are being built. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Thursday morning with Karen Coe and me, Hugh Chiverton. Later, we're going to be looking back at the life of uh, Stanley Ho, the uh, casino magnate and uh, businessman uh, who has uh, just died at the age of 98 uh, with Chip Cho, we hope. Fingers crossed for that. But we're talking now about uh, further aspects of the uh, attempt to introduce national security laws uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, we have with us now Professor Carol Peterson, Professor of Law at the William S. Richardson School. School of Law and also Graduate Chair of the Matsunaga Institute for Peace. Um, if you want to join the conversation, please give us a call on 233 uh, or you can comment on our Facebook page as well. Everyone can see your comments there. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, or you can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, but of course, I may have to edit uh, for length uh, and or relevance. Uh, Vic says, Dear Backchat, present-day Hong Kong is a relatively free society compared to present-day Singapore. Ironically, Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore was honoured for helping China to open up. Earlier today on Money Talk, it was even suggested that people may move out of Hong Kong to Shanghai. What business seeks is certainty and stability, and if businesses were really concerned about values like human rights, rule of law, etc., they would not have flocked into establishing businesses in China. What Hong Kong is presently facing is uncertainty, to which the protests have been the primary contribution. The gentleman, Mr Chin, that's Edward Chin, who's on back chat today, does not make any sense, and 
and this thinking is so disjointed and frankly jaundiced by his political affiliations. My question to the panel is, do they think the national security law in Hong Kong will be much more stringent as compared to the ones in Singapore? If not, why should Hong Kong people worry more about the national security law as against the anarchy that is being perpetuated in the streets of Hong Kong? That is from uh, Vic. Uh, Anthony says, when you talk about the bookstore person, look at how an ordinary lawyer being tortured and lynched by the pandemolition mobs. Uh, Jay says, it seems that everything is so repetitive, it's very simple, and we still have a little bit of one country, two systems, so cut the government's salary by 60%, put them on holiday for one month, let's have a ballot in Hong Kong with five or six million people. Do we want a national anthem rule, yes or no? Do we want the six points or eight points, yes or no? Let's have a list of all the government officials. Which ones do we want? Yes or no? Let's get rid of the dead wood. Uh, Anthony also says it's like in the Bible that Jewish people missed the chance to free Jesus and that's why Jesus had to resurrect himself. We homo sapiens tend to miss a good chance. Uh, Phil B says your hedge fund manager Edward Chin is a dangerous misguided yellow shirt political activist his ideology is clear and he spreads fear doom and gloom we need to see the detail of the national security laws before he can spread his ideology to the younger persons who are the front face of the protest as Edward has an option to leave for Hong Kong so just go. Drake says, the professor, that's Carol Peterson, is being over-optimistic and I have to disagree with her. The provisions of Article 23 might have been clearly spelt out, but the commie can always redefine the scope of treason and subversion through reinterpretation of the basic law and incorporate their decision in Annex 3. Selling off state-owned enterprise could amount to treason on the mainland. One never knows when he or she might step on a landmine. Uh, Leon says, in the wake of the rapidly deteriorating Sino-US relations and expectations of tit-for-tat retaliatory sanctions by both sides, investors should keep a close eye on the shares of Sands China, the dominant player in Macau. Sands founder and largest shareholder, Sheldon Edelson, is one of the Donald Trump's largest financial backers. According to a recent article in the Guardian newspaper, Edelson is expected to donate at least $100 million to boost Trump's 2020 re-election campaign and Republican congressional candidates over the next few months. Like the other five Macau operators, Sands Macau concession is up for renewal in 2022. If China really wants to target US companies in a retaliatory move, Sands could emerge as a prime candidate. A non-renewal of its Macau license could be massively damaging for the group if, if its shareholders, including Mr Edelson, and for Trump's re-election campaign. That is from uh, Leon. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, for that. Uh, once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. Drop us a line. We'd like to hear from you. One from John, uh, who says, uh, Beijing promised direct, direct democracy in Hong Kong by 2014. Who did not implement it? It was Beijing or our own government. Who does run Hong Kong? We have a government that does not take any stand. The problem is not Beijing or China. The problem is Hong Kong. No one has the courage to take action. I've been listening to the news today that Hong Kong will no longer be autonomous. Hong Kong was never autonomous, not under the British, not now. Hong Kong is a so special social administrative region on China, simple or complex as this. Let's start to blame our own leader. Let's start to look at the huge power of the few families in Hong Kong and stop blaming China. That comes from John. 
Okay, and let's bring uh, Professor Carol Peterson back. She's um, Professor of Law at the William S. Richardson School of Law. Uh, Professor uh, Peterson, sorry, we lost you just before the news. And um, I was actually asking you, you know, talking about the fact that now uh, where we are today, Hong Kong has really kind of lost the chance to pass its own version of Article 23 law. Whatever version the mainland, the NPC, decides to to implement, to put in front of us, do you think that will stand up to the same sort of, um, uh, you know, standards that, that we, if we had passed it in Hong Kong, would have wanted to implement, m- meaning complying with the ICCPR and uh, complying and, you know, accounting for Hong Kong society and the way Hong Kong society is run? Well, I think the answer to that question is we probably have missed the opportunity And in answer to what one of your commentators uh, wrote in, uh, someone said, well, what difference would it have made if we enacted our ordinance? The NPC Standing Committee could interpret it any way they want. Actually, the NPC Standing Committee's power to interpret is a power to interpret the basic law, not local Hong Kong ordinances. So, of course, it's possible that at some stage, uh, you know, maybe Xi Jinping would have decided that our local ordinance uh, was not good enough and might have still imposed national laws. I don't know. But I do think we would have had a better chance of avoiding this, what I think is really a disaster for Hong Kong, had Hong Kong drafted its own legislation along the lines of the 2003 bill, but with the three concessions that Tung Shiwa made after the protest march. Um, there were things that could have been cleaned up in that bill. Some of the language was vague. Some of it was a little incoherent. But it was, I'm sure, far superior to what Hong Kong is going to receive uh, via the NPC Standing Committee. So I do think it's unfortunate that that opportunity was missed. Does the law that the NPC um, decides to draft still have to comply with the ICCPR? Very good question, because the basic law in Article 39 says that the ICCPR will continue to apply in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal has held many times that Article uh, 39 of the basic law effectively incorporates the ICCPR into domestic law and that any local ordinance must comply with it. And they have sometimes struck down provisions that they found could not be interpreted in a manner that is consistent with the ICCPR. So this is why it's so important um, to find out who will be enforcing this law. If it's a local ordinance that is interpreted and applied by the local Hong Kong courts, then the courts still have a duty to do their very best to interpret the ordinance in a manner that complies with the ICCPR. And in my view, you know, the potential constitutional crisis could be if a Hong Kong court were to find there's no way to interpret a particular provision that's been imposed in Hong Kong via Annex 3 of the Basic Law in a way that complies with the ICCPR. I mean, that issue was raised in the flag ordinance. Um, and the Hong Kong Court of Final Appeal managed to kind of avoid the issue by saying that ordinance prohibiting flag desecration was barely constitutional. So they didn't really have to to go that way. Um, But that's the potential crisis that we could have. My hope is that, you know, cooler heads may prevail and that perhaps the NPC Standing Committee will 
decide to move a little bit more cautiously than some of us fear and um, draft a law that will be interpreted and enforced by the local Hong Kong courts and that they will not try to prevent the courts from scrutinizing the law and applying the law in a manner that complies with the ICCPR. Because that is part of the promise that was made to Hong Kong by Deng Xiaoping in the Sino-British Joint Declaration. Now, one one of the things that uh, we're also hearing is that this new law would require the local government to set up new institutions to safeguard sovereignty and also allow mainland agencies to operate in the city when needed. What, what exactly does this mean? I would only be speculating if I were to comment on it. It's certainly not provided for in Article 23. Um, and so this is something new. Uh, and I... I I really don't know anything more than than has been reported in the press. Um, I listened to what Edward Chin said, you know, the fears of people being grabbed on the streets. But I just don't know. I certainly hope it doesn't come to that. But to be honest, Hong Kong people have been living in fear of this ever since the booksellers were, you know, was, were grabbed. Um, and that is something that has created a culture of fear and Beijing has never done anything to really reassure the Hong Kong people. And I, it's not enough to just say, oh, we're only targeting a few bad people, because, frankly, all it takes is for one or two people to be grabbed, or and people have a culture of fear. And I'd like to comment also on this point about the business community. Uh, some people seem to think that it's wrong to say that the business community will be affected by this, but... Actually, the business community will be affected, and that's why the business community played an active role in scrutinizing the legislation in 2002 and 2003. And it's because the business community knows that a free press and an open society, is a, they are essential elements in battling corruption. And they're very important to market research. And if it turns out that this new law is used to stifle the press, and to stifle whistleblowers, then it will definitely have an effect on the business community. And yet, and yet, and yet, as quite a lot of our, our, you know, our listeners were saying, um, you have these kind of laws, and you have what you would call stifling uh, of the press in Singapore and in many and in in, in the mainland uh, as well. Uh, and life goes on, and um, they you know, they're fairly peaceful places uh, for the most part and they're certainly uh, doing well uh, economically uh, better than us in, in in many ways so you know maybe this isn't the end of the world uh, we've had a comment on well, well on, you're on certainly our... correct that that can i respond to that you're certainly correct that business can continue the question is whether hong kong's comparative advantage can continue there there is there are businesses that operate in hong kong because they don't want to operate in Shanghai or Singapore, because at the moment, Hong Kong has a comparative advantage over those other jurisdictions. That comparative advantage may disappear. And the point about Singapore is particularly interesting, because you're right that Singapore does have far fewer protections for freedom of expression and freedom of assembly than Hong Kong currently has. Singapore has never ratified the ICCPR. But Singapore does have an elected government. And while the political process is not as open as many people would like, 
the government is conscious of the importance of consulting the public and not doing anything that really upsets the public. And when you have an elected government, you don't get things like the extradition bill because the government is sensitive to public opinion and needs to be reelected. And so you don't have the same social conflicts constantly developing that you have in Hong Kong. I'm not saying Singapore is a wonderful place, but there is much more of a sense uh, by the government that it needs to be responsive to the people. The reason we have so many violent conflicts now in Hong Kong is that you have an appointed government that is not accountable to the public and not at all sensitive to public opinion. And then they do things that people feel very strongly about, and they have no sense that, well, I can vote these people out in the next election, because they can't. The mm -hmm. government is appointed. So that's why I think national security laws that are quite strict in Singapore don't tend to cause quite as much social conflict as they will very likely cause in Hong Kong. And with respect to the mainland, yes, you're right. There are foreign companies that operate in the mainland. They know what rules they have to operate under. There are some people who will not live in the mainland because they don't want to live in that kind of system. My point is that right now, those companies that don't feel comfortable operating in the mainland, they feel comfortable operating in Hong Kong, or at least they have until now. I think Hong Kong is sadly going to lose that comparative advantage. I know people who I never thought would leave Hong Kong who are now telling me that they're thinking about leaving Hong Kong. And these are not political activists. They're business people, lawyers, bankers, who just say, this is not a place that I feel I can live in anymore. And of course, some of it is because of the social disruption and the damage. And I do think the protesters have gone way, way too far in terms of the violence. Some of it is because of that, but some of it is also because of the increased sense that we are living in what is becoming a police state. And I think it is going to destroy a lot of Hong Kong's comparative advantage. All right, some comments on our Facebook page, uh, first of all. Yeah, Darren echoing what I said, um, why are so, he says, why are so many people shaking in their boots about the national security law if they've never been across the border into the mainland before? Uh, if not, then why not? Uh, Gerhardt says, since China is not respecting international treaty, then Hong Kong people have the right to form our own government and apply for independence immediately. The UN will support Taiwan. Tibet, Xinjiang should also apply. That comes from Gerhardt. Uh, Jim says, thank you to the criminal element within the protest movement for ruining the prospects for yourselves and the good people of Hong Kong. Contrary to your expectations, neither the USA nor U UK are going to accept you with open arms as freedom fighters. Your behaviour has goaded China into forcing through Article 23, thus uh, providing the perfect excuse for Trump in his battle to maintain his country's hegemony and his own position. That comes uh, from Jim. Andrew F says, if the Human Rights and Democracy Act was genuinely out of concern about the future of the average 15-year-old from a Kuntong public housing estate and not just using Hong Kong as a proxy in the ongoing trade war with China, then why start with us? Because as far as independent judiciary and free press goes, you'd be hard-pushed to find another place in Asia that scores higher on both counts. Singapore currently holds the world record for political prisoners that was held the longest under the National Security Act, and he's not exactly a household name like Mandela because the world never seems to give a monkeys. The Philippines is one of the 
America's coziest relationships, even though their president advocates extrajudicial killings. Even Japan is a country with a 98.8% conviction rate. If the police said you did it, then you did it. It's a million miles away from our adversarial trial process. So again, if this is really about freedoms, not geopolitics, then why start with us? And Bowen uh, says, a huge said that maybe business people like Edward Chin should separate business and politics when he gives his views. But unfortunately, it appears that's not the way the establishment and people in their camp operate and expect their subordinates to operate in the business world. Take a well-known example, Dr. Casey Law, who used to be the chief economist at the Chinese State Bank in Hong Kong, is now hosting an informative weekly show in commercial radio. He's made it clear that the Chinese state banks do not allow employees to talk to the media, especially not to divulge views that their employers may see as inconsistent with the kind of views the authorities want to promote. The employees will thus have pangs of guilt if they comply because their professional training obliges them to be objective and not twist the reality in giving advice to clients and the public. The point is that business people like uh, that if business people like Edward Chin and Casey Law are told to share their views in public, if at all, only if they comply with the official views and they comply, what they're going to say to you in Backchat or elsewhere will not be the result of having business or politics separated, but of one being dominated by the other. Have no illusions, please. That comes uh, from Bowen. Thank you very much indeed for that. And uh, one more from uh, Vic, who says, I so disagree with a lady. Singapore people have been in Singapore people have been indoctrinating its population from day one. People in Hong Kong do have a right to be worried because they are used to freedoms that many Singaporeans don't know or don't believe exist or are needed in a free and fair society. Freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of expression, all these just to begin with. Singaporeans are used to being muzzled by the state with the indoctrination starting with kindergartens and throughout their school years. Just because these wrongs work in Singapore, because people don't have a choice, does not make what Beijing is doing right uh, in or for Hong Kong. That comes uh, from Vic. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to Professor Peterson, Carol Peterson, Professor of Law, the William S. Richardson School of Law, Graduate Chair at Matsunaga Institute for Peace. Thank you all very much indeed for joining us today and for all the comments. 22 minutes past nine. Finally today, we wanted to turn uh, to Stanley Ho, the uh, businessman, the uh, uh, casino magnate who's uh, just died at the age of uh, 98 after a, a long illness. I think some 10 years, in fact. Yeah, and, long uh, time. Yeah, hasn't and, seen in public at yeah, all. That's right. Uh, Chip Cho joins us now, columnist and uh, social commentator. Chip, good morning to you. Thanks for Hello, joining good us. Um, uh, I mean, everyone's, you know, larger than life is the cliche, but Stanley Ho really was larger than life, wasn't he? Extraordinary man, extraordinary figure. Yeah, I mean, those uh, who have met him or those who belong to circle close friends will remember him as a man of um, charisma, uh, a man who, uh, a man of uh, great humor, a man of uh, legends, a man who would just uh, tell endless amount of anecdotes about those uh, whom he knew or whom he had met some belonging to the 19th century. So I think his, his, uh, his um, path away would be a great loss to those, uh, even those Hong Kong common people who have uh, seen how he's cracked shows on TV and demon show. So, I mean, uh, it's quite a pity. I mean, it, 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 it does make many people feel nostalgic about a century 
Did you know him then? You, you've had sessions with him, have you? I would have the uh, privilege of cleaning myself to know him because uh, uh, neither I have his mobile uh, line nor him or his family would claim the same. I did have, I, I did have the, uh, the great privilege of having joined uh, those dinners where dinner parties where he was present, yes. He was a man of charisma. When he talked, everyone listened to him. Uh, he was a great, he was a great conversationalist and uh, he was a, a great man to listen to. Um, it's interesting that, you know, he's probably most well associated, of course, with Macau um, and and the casino business that he built there. And, of course, the associated businesses, the the Shuntak Holdings, which runs the Hong Kong-Macau ferry. So do you think that people in Hong Kong see him more as a Macau businessman or a Hong Kong businessman? People see him more or less, well, I think 80% as a Macau tycoon, 20% uh, Hong Kong. As uh, his family, as uh, his, well, his uh, his, his surname Ho rather than Ho Tong, is closely related to the Ho Tong uh, legend, which uh, laid the, whose present whose presence laid the foundation of the very Hong Kong story dated back to the 19th century. Although his grandfather is was uh, only Hong folk rather than Ho Tong, Ho Tong was uh, great enough to achieve. His full name as something like an aristocratic, double-barrel uh, Hong Kong Chinese surname, but not his grandfather. His grandfather was his grandfather was a folk rather than Tung. Well, I mean, well, well, not all the same league, but his grandfather was uh, also a great donator uh, uh, and also a kind man. Uh, but Ho Tung was more charismatic. Uh, was more uh, and cut much larger as a historical figure rather than who folk his brother. But anyway, but anyway, th- those are uh, those are, are, are the stories gone. But people are more attracted to uh, uh, Stanley Ho. Stanley Ho was the um, was a black sheep of the very very big family. He was known to be more rebellious, more outspoken. Uh, more daring in uh, his uh, investment decision, while most of his other family members are more timid, are more of a low profile. Right? So he did stand out as uh, as a very colourful uh, personality. Yeah, you talked about his sort of historical position. I mean, he was one of the, as far as I know, one of the last people to have concubines. To have several wives at the, at, the, at the same time. There's not many yeah, people why who do not? that. And he, how did... himself, he made himself a great role model of what you Karen, why not? No, I was just going to say, you know, he, he has, you know, 17 children with four different women and he called all of them his wives. And nobody yeah. else, I think, could get away with that. You know, you, well, you think about other Hong Kong businessmen, they would be hugely criticized if they did that. How yeah, did he get away freedom. with it? I wouldn't comment on that. There was his freedom of speech. He was rich enough. He didn't rape any of uh, his uh, women into uh, marrying him. And uh, his Chinese culture, and I'm afraid, to be politically correct, I would say that part of his pro- 
private or public or, or private life is uh, a point in what you call multiculturalism in countries like Britain and Canada and the United States. They should be respected by those who may disagree with that idea. I think interestingly, though, you know, he didn't hide any of his wives. That, that I think no. maybe that was the difference. He didn't try to pretend. Not his mistresses, oh, were they? they exactly. Were. Yeah, he really said, "These are all my wives. I treat them all equally." And some of them had roles in his business. Oh no, he wouldn't mind being seen as a, as a greater than the eighth of the Far East at all. That's why I said he was the most daring man. He was seen as the most rebellious uh, black sheep of his own family. Well, but anyway, Ho Jong did have two wives. His uh, his great, yeah, his grand uncle made the example. Ho Jong was was once deported uh, by the uh, immigration office in San Francisco in the 19th century on the reason that he was uh, he, uh, he had two wives. He claimed in the court openly that he had two wives. And the court of Central in Francisco in those days was dismayed because, as he said, as they said, what he thought, uh, Ho Chung should have entered America by a youth. <laughs> and he was no Mormon. So it was good fun, I mean. Yeah. What, 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 what about. The 20th century is nice to see. A piece of relic to be preserved in the 21st century. What, what about his standing in, in Beijing? Because you know, there was a time when he ran Macau completely, didn't he? He dominated uh, yeah. the life completely in Macau. Uh, and then Beijing uh, introduced, uh, started giving out the licenses to, uh, to American casinos and so on. And there was this, a lot of talk at the time that he had kind of fallen out with Beijing or, or whatever. You know, what was that relationship? Uh-huh. Chairman Mao liberated Macau any year during his uh, his career. He would have been executed within three days. But the communist Chinese government always treated him as a uh, personality, as a figure of political convenience. He was uh, one of the most prominent uh, uh, figures in Hong Kong and Macau. Uh, to be so-called united by the Beijing regime, uh, to be uh, well, to be absorbed into their system of so-called united front, uh, so that uh, uh, as he was allowed to run his casinos as freely and as greedily as he wished, Beijing would like to make Macau a. Um, a, uh, a shopping window of the so-called success of the one country, two system, uh, which, uh, as some people might feel or argue, uh, could have uh, ended just a few hours ago as uh, Mike Pompeo made some announcement. Let's put it that way.
Okay. Well, Chip Cho, thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Columnist and uh, social commentator. Karen, many thanks to you. Thank you. Uh, a couple of emails uh, just to finish off. Uh, Andrew uh, F. Uh, says, uh, and by the way, Andrew F., there's some, if you look on the back chat uh, Facebook page as well, there's some further discussion uh, relating to um, democracy. Uh, Andrew F. says, uh, this is in relation to Carol Peterson, I think. She really thinks you could vote that family dynasty that owned most of Singapore out in the next election. Good luck with that. As for a police state, name me one police state where people like Joshua Wong can go on TV constantly and call it a police state. It's patently absurd. That comes uh, from uh, Andrew F. And uh, Nig gets last word uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, Nig says... uh, Responding to TC, TC, I can't agree with you more. This program has become a platform for woo mouths. Thank God I don't listen to this every day, and I certainly have a choice with commercial radio, which the government is still racking their brains on how to rein in control. That comes uh, from Nick. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you for everyone uh, who contributed this morning back at 8.30 tomorrow, as ever. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy with a few showers, some isolated thunderstorms later. Sunny intervals during the day, temperatures up to about 31 degrees. There will still be showers in the next few days and it's going to be hot early next week 28 degrees now relative humidity 84 percent the first bus in the morning the familiar feeling of your longtime office a school bell rings in the start of a new lesson crowded restaurants buzzing with conversation shops rolling up the shutters to let the sun shine in Every day is a new day. Every day can be a new beginning. Treasure Hong Kong, our home. 9.33, the news now with Samantha Butler. Legislators have resumed their second reading of the National Anthem Bill with pan-democrats staging protests against what they say is the illegal election of the DAB's Styri Lee as House Committee Chairwoman. 20 minutes after proceedings began, security guards carried out lawmaker Chu Hoi Dick, who was ejected by the LegCo president for holding a placard that read Styri Lee, best chairman. The meeting is currently adjourned. The U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has told Congress that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous from mainland China. It now falls to President Trump to decide what action to take, such as placing sanctions on individuals or groups or revoking Hong Kong's special trade status. And a Canadian court has ruled that fraud charges against Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of the tech giant Huawei, constitute a crime in Canada, opening the way for her extradition to the United States. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry typewriter. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew.